What's going on, everybody? And welcome back to another episode of the State of the Nova Nation podcast presented by VU Hoops. I'm Emma Houghton. He's Pat Zhang. We have a very interesting week upon us, Pat, even though Villanova only plays one game and it's not until Sunday, almost an entire week from when you are listening to this episode on Tuesday morning. But somehow other sports seem to get in the way and it doesn't feel like Villanova's epic matchup against Providence at the Wells Fargo Center seems to be the centerpiece of our Sunday afternoon. What do you think? Oh, yeah, there's something else that's going on on next Sunday afternoon that will make the trip to Wells Fargo so much fun for all of us <laughs> uh, Villanova fans. Oh, God. Um, but, yeah, no, it's it's very weird, you know, without a game, of course, with Villanova playing on Friday night and having that nine-day layoff till Providence at Wells Fargo uh, on Sunday. I kind of feel like that um, gif of Pablo Escobar and Narcos just staring out into the abyss uh, this week without Villanova basketball. Waiting but for something to do. Pretty yeah. much, but I, I guess we're all in this together uh, for the week. Yeah, we will definitely provide some entertainment on this episode, at least. And the thing that we are most excited to talk about before we even get into Villanova's big win on the road against St. John's from over the weekend is that Maddie Segrist, the goat of all goats, the legend of Villanova basketball, Mm. finally did it. She is now the all-time leading scorer in Villanova basketball program history. How insane is that to even say out loud, Pat? It's so cool. And for us specifically, too, it's very cool for someone that, you know, started her career while we were there. We got to cover her, uh, you know, a couple times, too. Of course, she has only taken off even further since we left school. I mean, the accomplishments that Maddie Seagrest has already racked up is unbelievable. And for her to now pass Penafather, uh's all-time point total of over 20, 2,408 points, um, it's incredible. It's so exciting. It's monumental for the school. Uh, and I could not be happier for Maddie Seagrass, who by all accounts is just a wonderful person on top of the phenomenal athlete that we know she is. Yeah, she's a team leader. The success Villanova has had on the national scale mm-hmm. since Denise Dillon has come into oh, this program. What a job well. she's done. Yeah, it feels like the two of them together have brought this team to different heights than it was just three, four five years ago, which is really cool to see. The thing that gets me the most is that she only needed 18 points to break the record, and it felt like she could have gotten that in the first half. <laughs> well, the whole Villanova team was on fire. Yeah, in the, they in were. The first half. That was a cra- 23-4. Was that the highest it ever got? 26-4? Something crazy like that. It was that. like the score at the end of the first, basically, which, yeah. which, by the way, I loved that we went straight from Nova St. Me John's too. into Nova Creighton for Seacrest to be able to kind of have that national stage on FS1 to break the Villanova scoring record. It was great. I didn't have to leave my couch to continue to watch more Villanova basketball, which is always a good thing. Um, and of course, so cool to see her break that record in the fourth quarter. No, I feel the same way about men's games leading into women's games or vice versa. I actually thought, I mean, so many more people, Villanova's fans, especially, Mm -hmm. I think even regardless of this record that Maddie was going to break, I think you would have seen more viewership on that game just because it happened to be on after the Villanova game. Oh, totally. Creighton is also a really good team in the big East. So there was just a lot going for us and the, the convenience of not having to be, to even change the channel. Whereas sometimes I know that it's more difficult to watch the women's games because they're on FS2 or different streaming networks. And it's just was perfect to have it right on after on FS1. But yeah, the, this really was great. Are you, are you ready for a couple more Seagrass numbers? 
give it to me. Of course. So uh, this is coming from an article on viewhoops.com, by the way, by Eugene. Uh, Eugene did an awesome job at, at putting this together. So if you haven't read his article, please do. Always shout out to the great Eugene Rupay. Um, But Maddie only needed 103 career games to set this record, while Pennefather had 117 to get to her total. Of course, Maddie as well has more games this season to continue to add to that total. Uh, she's the fastest player in program history to reach a thousand points. She did so in just 50 career games during her sophomore season, which is really absurd uh, to even think about. Friday night was her 21st 20 point game of the season. She currently leads the entire country in scoring at uh, just about 29 points per game. But further than that, she also averages 10 boards per game and is second all-time in Villanova women's history in rebounding. I mean, the the level of stardom, the level of history that Seagrest has brought to this program, like we say it at the start, but once you get into the numbers, it really helps illustrate what it is. It, truly just a, an iconic player for, for Villanova. She's Sabrina Ionescu. She's Kate and Clark. She's Paige Becker. She's literally getting close to Maya Moore status she just doesn't happen to play on a top five team in the country and that's why you don't hear about her as much but still Jeez, a damn good one by the way 18 and three good. no you're right they're gonna make another run this year i'm excited right. for their tournament we hopefully can have a big focus on that at that time in march but to, before we go down that rabbit hole i say that that'll be something for us to focus <laughs> on in march no she's so balanced that is an incredibly underrated part of her game eugene is all over it as always yeah it's it is so fun to watch she really does everything she has a big body so she's able to play down low too she can play all five positions she can defend all five positions the personnel around her like tethers to her play really well they all play with each other really well it just it feels like a pretty well-oiled machine at Villanova and they are getting more national chatter which they deserved two years ago so I'm really happy to see it Hats off to Denise Dillon, as you said, for for really kickstarting this program again when she came in. And of course, it, it helps to kickstart a program when you have a catalyst like Maddie Seacrest. If you are looking to watch the Villanova women, I know, you know, we said we saw them on Friday night against Creighton. Their next game is Sunday at 2 against UConn, of course, Connecticut, the Connecticut women's program. Uh, so a perfect way, you know, spend your Sunday, watch the Villanova men at noon and then the women at two and then the next home game for an opportunity to see them in person is wednesday february 1st at the pavilion against marquette nice it's crazy that february 1st is already so close oh, but megan morthart of the villanova also has had a ton of villanova women's basketball content on her feed on twitter i think she always also writes for them for the philly inquirer so there's been a lot more content out there about this specific women's team which is again it's so awesome and you almost wish that it didn't have to be this season for them to get all the credit that they've deserved, but you hope that they can also take it as far as they can this year and really ride that momentum. I'm pumped to keep watching them. It, they yeah, are so much too. fun. They're, as you said, a well-oiled machine, and this is a really, really good Villanova women's program right now. The women's basketball coverage on Fox is really good, too. The broadcasters they have are incredibly good, so I always like watching those games, too, for that. Kim Adams on yeah. color for, for Friday night. We love Kim Adams. So yeah, always cool. for it. Sweet. All right. So we wanted to give that the spotlight of that episode. And now we will transition to Villanova's 57 to 49 win at MSG on Friday night. Can we call it a road game, Pat? Yeah, yeah, we'll go. There was a lot of red, but there was a, a lot, of, lot of blue, as we know, too, because Nova Nation always shows out. 
So if they were going to win a big game on the road, you felt like this had to be it because yes. Villanova fans know how to pack MSG. Good teams win, great teams cover. <laughs> Finally had to get it in there. I thought the plus four and a half was insulting, to be honest with you. They I ended up winning by level. by a wide margin that didn't necessarily feel as close as, as that, of course, Dixon and Slater combined for that that steal and dunk that really put mm-hmm. it away for Nova at the end. We labeled our last episode a wins a win question mark after the win over Georgetown. This one feels like a wins a win period because for 30, 35 minutes of this game, this was so ugly to watch that I almost yep. couldn't take it. And thank God they won. And now we can actually after some time away sift through what actually happened yeah Yeah, we all needed time away from that game on friday nights because my my eyes still haven't recovered so you talk about titles i already know that i'll be titling this one the rock fight in the garden because that is exactly uh what this was is 57 uh 49 i think you know it positively Villanova did a very good job on defense. That is probably the first time you have heard me say that this year based on how how Nova and how these games have really played. Now, it helps that St. John's, I think, shot selection can be a struggle for the Johnnies, and it certainly was that again. But to Villanova's credit, they forced them into tough shots, which is very important and something that really hasn't happened very often. I mean, think about it, how many times we've watched this Nova team this year. And the amount of open looks they give up, whether it be, you know, not going over a screen and giving up an open three-pointer or not rotating correctly and allowing someone to be able to back cut in the basket for a layup. You really didn't see that here at the Garden on Friday night. And I think that's really important. And I give credit to the players and the coaching staff for coming out and doing so after what has been a pretty putrid defensive stretch. I mean, I know they beat Georgetown, but my God, defensively, that was a disaster. Um, to underline as well, you know, how that, total performance it was the first time Villanova's held a team under 50 points all year uh Delaware State had 50 Boston College had 56 and they forced 17 turnovers from St. John's in this game including 13 steals which was by far you know the most amount of steals they've had in a game this year there have been times where Nova has had one to three steals in a game and that's just kind of how it is because defensively they're not able to turn you over that was not the case on Friday night so at least I'm not touching on the offense here, but defensively, um, something that I've really harped on for a while now, I came away feeling pretty proud of that performance when I don't think you've been able to say that really at any point thus far this year. Definitely not. We've got a lot of episode left, so let's let's stick on this positive defensive part before we go into the offense so far, Pat. St. John's is definitely not a bad team. No. They looked terrible on Friday, but if you were happy about limiting Delaware state and BC, you know, you, you almost take that as a given limiting St. John's to 49 points was an impressive feat. I believe you were right when you said that you didn't think that three point shooting would be their game, despite how bad Villanova's three point defense is. That's true. They took only 12 threes. They made only three of them. Curbelo and posh were terrible. I think that's the worst <laughs> I've ever seen either of them. I mean, if they didn't have, Soriano, who they actually almost didn't have because yeah, he that was scary. First, went, like, I think it was the seconds. first possession. I think yeah. it was literally their first possession of the game. He was holding that knee in like the meniscus ACL area. It did not look very good at all, but he was able to finish with a double-double, obviously, because that's what he does. But I have been thinking about this for 
four days now and I specifically didn't text you about it because I wanted to hear your reaction on the podcast and I wanted you to hear my happiness for talking about it. (laughs) Two things actually, but the one that I'm most excited about is that Villanova went over screens. Yes, they did. Against St. John's, they didn't go under screens. We called for that. We called for that too. Oh my God, finally. And you saw... Maybe it's not going to look this good on defense every single time. Probably not. But you saw how much better they were able to stick to their man when they didn't get caught going under a screen. It was beautiful to watch. It it was. And, you know, they stuck in man for a lot of this game. Now they went to zone at times. But this was a heavier man game plan here against St. John's, which I think makes a lot of sense because you look at that St. John's roster, and I mean, when they are firing, they are, of course, very difficult uh, to defend, but there's not as much firepower. They more try and overwhelm you in the volume of shots and use Soriano and try and play off of him. If you're able to take away and have these slower games, especially AJ Store that's really grown into it, Posh we know is not an offensive player, so when he shoots eight field goal attempts, that is a great game you know, for whoever you're facing, because it's just, it's not what he does. He's here to steal the ball and play great defense. Uh, Curbelo never got into any sort of a rhythm, and I can go a little further on Curbelo too. I think there's a lot of fluff on Curbelo with sometimes some limited bite uh, from him at the guard position. Um, So I'm curious to see how that continues to progress here. But I give Villanova a ton of credit because they went up in man-to-man, they were physical against St. John's, and they held them to 49 points. And the most important thing of all is that of those 49 points, only 21 of them came in the second half. How many times have we, you specifically actually, have talked about how many second half points Villanova's defense has given up to the Butlers, the Georgetowns, the DePauls. The Butler loss actually looks even worse because of how teams have just been dismantling them (laughs) when they've been in a bad stretch of their own. (laughs) But finally... 28 points given up in the first half, seven less, only 21 in the second half. That's great anyway, but just to finally break that trend of completely falling apart in the second half was so good to see. And it was a full 40-minute effort. It really did feel like St. John's could have gone on a run at the end with the crowd behind them, and Villanova did not let them do that. And the main part of that was because they were so active in the lane trying to break up passes, and you just don't see that so often, so seriously as ugly as this game was from an offensive standpoint i think the main takeaway has to be how much of an improvement you saw on defense it is because saint john's has the ability to score i mean listen the dichotomy you've heard of the dichotomy of man like the dichotomy of saint john's they <laughs> shot 51 percent against yukon for right they beat yukon yeah for, yeah on the road for 85 points come out in their next game and shoot 32 percent for 49 points here against Villanova and it's what's so mind-numbingly frustrating about St. John's if you are a St. John's fan but I think Villanova deserves a lot of credit uh for that as well so yeah I I think defensively as much as you know I there were times where I considered clawing my eyes out watching them play offense on Friday um the just the strides they made on defense based on what we've seen this year so important down the stretch against teams that you know really can score which is what this conference has been all about i mean looking at providence can hurt you offensively no marquette's great creighton has been playing much much better of late and those are the next three games here for villanova so it's very important for them to make these defensive strides if they're trying to gain any sort of momentum they absolutely needed this win too you cannot go into a game 
at the Wells Fargo Center against Providence, who we're recording on Monday is now the 23rd best team in the country. Marquette, the next game, Creighton, the next game after that, both on the road. And then honestly, you would think that afterwards it would get easier with DePaul, Seton Hall, Butler, but Villanova has shown that that's not the case because they Let's lost. Let's not go to back to that DePaul game, please. DePaul and Butler. So, except Xavier lost to DePaul. So that made me feel a hell of a lot better about yeah, this conference in general because you're right. Defense is not the problem for this conference. I mean, no, I'm sorry. Defense is the problem for this conference. Offense is not the problem. All of these teams have shown the ability to score 80 plus points against probably the most unlikely source, which is UConn on the road, which is exactly Mm -hmm. what St. John's did. So it wasn't surprising to me that they were favored considering the trajectories that both teams were going in, but Villanova was able to reel that back in. And now they go into Providence with some defensive momentum, which I don't think you can say has been brought up at one point this season at all. No, the only time there was a slight hint of it was when Whitmore came back and they started allowing, True. you know, in those, Oklahoma. Yeah, yeah, the mid to early or low 60s in points per game on, on that stretch. Now we know the competition wasn't great, but that was at least some defensive momentum. Basically, as soon as they got into conference play, all of that dissipated um, as well. But I think foundationally, too, a, a big part of that, Brandon Slater has really upped his game lately, but it's definitely on offense, but but on defense as well. We're seeing him be more of the Slater of old there. I think overall, you know, you're seeing Caleb Daniels do a better job on their perimeter as well. Not too much changed, you know, with these guys other than just as Emma pointed out, they they certainly went over a lot more screens and it just felt like a much more physical team on Friday than we've seen. I, I think at times it's almost felt that this Villanova team has been a bit finesse throughout the season. That was just not the case on Friday night in the garden. And, um, you know, do, does that continue in a home game against Providence on Sunday? Like we, we can only hope so. Yeah, I think another phrase to describe this team is hot and cold. Yeah. It doesn't ever feel like both offense and defense are grooving at the same time. When the offense is really good, usually the defense is horrible, like the Xavier game, or the defense is really good, but the offense is terrible. I think you could say that the offense did not look good at all mm-hmm. on Friday night but they were able to hold down enough and let themselves win it on the defensive end. Slater's mantra, basically, of his entire Villanova career, you don't have to be much of a force offensively as long as you can take your defensive assignment and not let him score. The fact that Soriano missed seven baskets around the rim is a really big deal for one of the best scorers around the rim in the conference. I can't tell you how many times, I mean, you considered what – blowing your eyes out watching Villanova play watching St. John's play was certainly no better it wasn't on offense. good no. oh my god they turned the ball over an absurd amount of times yes Villanova's defense was good but that was also so much on their part too but just overall I think a really good ind- indication of how Villanova's defense is playing is how composed the opposing offense looked and St. John's offense looked the exact opposite of composed throughout the entire game yeah, the 17 turnovers that Villanova forced is huge. I mean, this team does not force 17 turnovers in games. It never happens, as we say. Like Havoc defense. Pat. Exactly. Wow, shock is here, uh, apparently. But yeah, it's so big. And then, you know, uh, this is actually a credit to the defense. You know, if you told me after the game that Cam Whitmore and Eric Dixon combined to shoot three for 20 from the field, 
I would not believe that Villanova most likely came away with a win there, but they did. And they did so because they were able to be so strong on the defensive side. Really, really poor offensive performances from both those guys. I don't know if we've ever seen Dixon miss that many shots. I also believe this is the (laughs) first time that he has scored less than double digits in a game this season. Correct. Correct. I think we jinxed him. So I apologize. It's my fault. I was the one that specifically said it. So yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll take the blame on that one. Brutal. Uh, 11 rebounds, though. So, again, they're, they're just – they find other ways to win, and I'm really hopeful that that momentum is going to bring them back. You see flashes of that Villanova basketball, and then they happen to lose to Butler, or they lose to DePaul, or they're in a close game against Georgetown, and you lose sight of it. But this also felt like a game where they could get themselves back on the right track. You certainly don't feel – inspired by their three-point shooting performance nope. you certainly don't feel inspired by the play of their stars but you saw arch step up you saw slater put back to back double digit point scoring games which you feel really good about and the defense is something to work upon going into providence who we're going to talk about a little bit later who is one of the streakiest teams in the conference so <laughs> i'm confident that if they can bring that defensive intensity providence is going to have a tough time on offense yeah, I offensively for what worked, uh, I think you you hit them on the on the head there. Brandon Slater is the huge part of that. Um, you know, 14 and 15 points the last two. That's now three of six games where he's had 14 or more points after he's really struggled to get involved offensively. Now you can come back at me and say two of those three are against Georgetown, and I say you are correct. Uh tough to argue there, but any sort of momentum for Slater offensively is is really key for this team to find its groove. And and I think he's doing that. And he's doing it through better shot selection. He's doing it through getting to the hoop. He only took one three today now, or on, on Friday. We know he can make them at a acceptable clip, but Brandon Slater is most dangerous when he's getting in and around the basket. And we've seen that a little more. Uh, Chris Archidiakono told a ton of minutes, you know, 36 minutes. That is a lot for Friday night. And I'm sure people don't love that, but I do think Chris played a, a pretty respectable game there, especially on the points wise, you know, he had nine points that eclipses the eight. He had total in the five games prior in 2023, which is obviously a very big deal. He has struggled immensely in conference play to be able to impact games on the score sheet. So to come out there and hit three threes, and especially the first three of the game for Villanova there, that's a big deal uh, to be able to try and get things moving and and get a little bit of an impact there. And then finally, Caleb Daniels, Caleb, um, 16 points on five of 10 shooting. You know, he will not listen to us and what we say on the let's take less threes. But you know what? On Friday night, I'm glad he didn't because he made four out of the seven. So do I think it's a recipe for success with him? No, not really. But it also shows kind of the the danger that he can provide for opposing teams when he is on. Yeah, when he's hot, he's hot and you want him to keep taking them. And then he happens to throw up an air ball and you're you're wondering why. Oh, he missed everything on that one. That was bad. (laughs) Um. I just wanted to add something about Chris Arch too, because what an unexpected performance for one, it makes me ache a little bit and, and who knows, maybe this is a step in the right direction. He feels a lot of confidence after this game, but when you see him provide that type of boost offensively, when you see him take six threes and make three of them, first of all, you've never seen that happen, Hmm. but I think it makes you ache a little bit for, the potential slash the the production just the production that that could bring every single night if that's what he was doing so 
maybe again maybe this does signal more shot taking from him in the future at, at a acceptable rate that we're comfortable with we certainly don't want him having the volume that even Slater has but you just you see how much better this offense looks you see how many more options they have when he is an option from deep it definitely made me ache a little bit just thinking about <laughs> what that could be I think it's optimistic to think that he's going to recreate or that he can create, I guess he can create it like this, but we just, we haven't seen any sort of consistency through his career to be able to do so. So yes, it's I think it shows how important it is for Villanova to get that scoring because, you know, they're struggling to find it from elsewhere right now. Armstrong, it feels like a yo-yo with him where, you know, one game good, one game bad type thing. Um, and it kind of happened, at least offensively, it happened again against St. John's. I thought he played pretty well on the defensive side. And we know with Longino out right now, um, you know, Patterson, especially in scoring punch, is not going to provide that. And Hawson has definitely struggled to to find his stroke and get involved in games here. So the nine points from Arch were great for this game. I just, I don't know how much we can expect of it going forward. Yeah, I guess this, I would have thought the same thing, but then where did the six three-point attempts come from in that game? They let him shoot. St. John's uh, gave him opportunities to do so. They used the Villanova method, I guess. They got and and it, it played out the same way it has against Villanova this year. <laughs> against Nova, yeah, that's good to see. <laughs> Take that, St. John's. Yeah, one one last one I want to hit on here before we move over to Providence. Cam Whitmore, I think we got to talk about it, right? Yes. This, for me, this was his worst game uh, at, at Villanova. And I I think it was interesting down the stretch that he didn't play very much. Uh, in a game that was definitely uh, still in doubt, I thought it was justified from mm. Kyle to to sit him down and kind of play this on merit. He really struggled. I, I thought the the shots were were not great, and he was definitely forcing it a little bit. You know, defensively, he had some steals, which are awesome with his anticipation, but he had one play where he made the steal, just dribbled into the corner and got it picked off from St. John's, who got an easy basket off of it. Like, that, that can't happen. Um, so that was frustrating. And then the, the four turnovers tied a career high to go with it too. So career high in turnovers, career low in points, um, and only down at 25 minutes here. It, not, not a great showing from Whitmore uh, at, at MSG, which I think is disappointing because I think a lot of people, you know, myself included, thought, awesome, this is a chance for him to really shine on, on this stage. And I, I think he's going to take it with both hands. And he struggled on Friday, totally. which I think still shows that he's got some things to iron out in his game. Yeah, he definitely has a long way to go. I, I agree. I was listening back to one of our older episodes and I was talking about how Neptune, I believe Neptune has done a generally good job in terms of minutes distribution because when it comes down to it, Armstrong and Whitmore are earning the amount of minutes they mm -hmm. play. And when I said that, I listened back and I was like, oh, maybe that was a little bit controversial. It came after the game at the Finn where Arch was getting booed, which both of us were very against um but i think when you saw the way whitmore played on friday night it was another check to that box because he didn't deserve to be out there arch played better than whitmore did on friday night am i saying that chris archidiacana hmm. was the better player than cam whitmore no of course not cam whitmore is one of the talented one of the most talented players we've seen this season period but he did not play well. You saw Neptune's frustration on the sideline. We talked about a clip games ago when Neptune pulled him aside and was visibly angry with them. We saw it again. It felt like this one was even 
on a bigger scale because it was while the game was playing and Neptune didn't even have the chance to pull him over and calm him a little bit. He was just incredibly frustrated that Cam was not being careful with the ball. So when you're going to do that, it's not hard to justify putting the guy who is literally out there because he doesn't turn the ball over or make mistakes. And there have definitely been times this season where Whitmore's mistakes have overshadowed the talent. And as a result, his minutes have been cut drastically. And that makes fans really upset. But I agreed with Kyle Neptune against St. John's. Yeah, I think it's fair to be upset when he sits, you know, most of the seven final seven minutes against Marquette at the Pavilion. That was a bad one. Yep. Yeah. I, I think it's fair to ask questions at times, but for this game specifically, I did not have a problem with with Kyle going away from him towards the end because it really was a struggle out there. Uh, I think as, he sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, no, say so as uh, I said, I, I think Whitmore can is still a you know, has a potential to be a great player. I think we see that in flashes all the time and his ability to take over games, but you know, the, the ability for a, a clunker to really come in like this has shown up a couple times. And it's, it, it comes with the territory of, of being a freshman in the big East here. It's not easy to step in and dominate this league. Not too many people do it. And I think Whitmore's kind of run into that a little bit here in year one. I totally agree. And another thing is I think he has to be able to wear it a little bit better when his pocket does get picked, you see him not really hustle back to the other side of the court. And you would think that that one thing would really put you on the wrong side of the coaching staff. Not that he is, but you know, that's the the mantra of childhood sports growing up. Just have a good attitude about it. You've seen his frustration show. He's a human. He's a freshman also. So we're not faulting him too much for that. But I do think he does have to be able to either make the mistake and then flush it and get back and play with 100% intensity because otherwise he's going to see that those minutes dwindle if he continues to have games like this, which we now know he's not immune to. Mm. Let's see him bounce back on Sunday. That's it. Was, that. This yeah. was a, a poor game on, on Friday night. Now you've got a chance going to Wells Fargo, you know, another NBA arena ranked opposition and, um, and really bounce back and try and take over. So. That's the perfect segue because he also is going to draw a really tough assignment against some of Providence's really big guys. I actually could not be more excited for this matchup. This is by far the most excited I've been about a game so far this season. Anybody who has ever listened to me before know that my (laughs) family is huge Providence fans. My parents went there. My brother and sister currently go there. They're a senior and a freshman. I've always seen Providence as the baby brother, so it never really was on my radar to this scale in terms of actually being a really good game. Now this feels like the game of the season so far for Villanova, how big it would be if they were able to win this one, how big it would be for myself in terms of my family status would be huge for me. But when you talk about Croswell's size and Noah Locke's size and Bryce Hopkins' size, the transfer for Kentucky, one of the most impactful transfers we've seen in the country so far this season, Whitmore's going to be playing against him largely. And that's the one-on-one matchup that I'm most excited for because Hopkins is a bucket. Whitmore's numbers have been lower as of late, but if he can turn on the defensive intensity and limit Hopkins, which not a lot of other, not a lot of other teams have been able to do, that will be huge for Nova. Every game for Villanova is the game of the season now. <laughs> right? I'm sorry. That was a little coach speak for you. Um, but no, I, I am quite excited for this one too with, with Providence coming here. Whenever Providence comes in, 
to Villanova, it is always a a really fun atmosphere. I was at the game last year at the Finneran Pavilion where Nova knocked them off by two, I want to say, uh, where it kind of came down in the last seconds. Uh, these games are a blast uh, to be at here. Uh, and this is a very good Providence team. And to their credit, it's a very good Providence team. Because going into the season, not too many people picked them to be where they are. And here, a part of that comes from this. You know, they're only returning 26% of their minutes and 27% of their scoring from a year ago. They're five of their top six guys last year, Nate Watson, Al Durham, Noah Horkler, AJ Reeves, and Justin Maniah, are all gone. And they've and Ed Cooley has done gone out and done what Ed Cooley does, and he's replaced them. Now, how has he replaced them? He's done so in a way that I think Villanova can take some notes on and try and learn from because it's something that the Cats are most certainly going to have to at least delve into. It just depends on how far into it. And that is, of course, the transfer portal. Their top five scorers this season are transfers. Now, not all of them are transfers from this season, but they've all transferred. They did not start at Providence and they came over here. Just from this year, new faces on that roster, Bryce Hopkins transferred from Kentucky, Devin Carter transferred from South Carolina, Noah Locke transferred from Louisville, Clifton Moore transferred from LaSalle, Corey Floyd, my personal favorite one, uh, transferred from UConn since they stole him away from Dan Hurley. I mean, Ed Crosswell is also a transfer, and Jared Bynum was a transfer at one point too. It is crazy how hard Ed Cooley has hit the transfer portal, and you know what it's done? He lost so much talent from a year ago, and he immediately replenished, and here you go with Providence being the 23rd ranked team in the country. Yeah, it's crazy how quickly they're able to bounce back. And I'm pretty sure the sixth guy that you mentioned was Jared Bynum, who hasn't played much this season because he's dealing with injuries. Mm-hmm. So they truly lost everything from a really good team last year. I believe they were the sixth seed in the tournament, right? Somewhere around there. The luckiest team in America. Oh, come on. We're past that, Pat. No, never. <laughs> No, that was a really fun game last year, too. That was the Gillespie shot. The biggest thing for Providence is that they don't have a bad loss. Towards yes. the beginning of the season, I guess that, that St. Louis loss was pretty bad. I watched that game. It was at Mohegan Sun, I believe. And They're a bad. decent A-10 team, but yes, no, it's not, you know, it's it's not a loss to Marquette, for right. example. Right, but they beat, they beat Marquette in double overtime. They crushed UConn. They crushed DePaul. Butler, the teams that they should have beaten is what I'm saying. They Their two losses were to Creighton and Marquette in the Big East schedule in both of those games. They were within eight or so. Mm-hmm. They're streaky. And it's funny to even say that because this is one of the unstreakiest records in the Big East <laughs> compared to the teams that have gone out, like the DePaul beating Xavier's and the St. John's beating UConn. There's been a lot of madness so far in conference play. But it's because they have so much depth in that scoring because all of the guys Cooley recruits fill specific holes that when Hopkins is having an off night offensively, Noah Locke can go off for 29 mm-hmm. points. When Ed Croswell isn't finding his way down low, Jared Bynum can erupt from the point guard position. Devin Carter has been unbelievably good in Bynum's absence because of that injury. They just do so many different things. Well, Alan Breed is a good facilitator. You would think they're this experienced old team that's been working together for two, three, four years, and that's exactly the opposite. And that's what makes them such a scary team to play because you don't really know what version of them you're going to get. And you have to put equal emphasis on guarding all five guys because you Mm -hmm. truly don't know who's going to have the night. And that's why it is so important that 
Slater has made big strides defensively because he's going to to draw along with Whitmore and Dixon, the Crosswells and the Hopkins and the the locks and all the other big bodies that Providence has on that roster. No, certainly. You talk about trying to identify, you know, the the guy that can really hurt you. Well, the guy that normally hurts you at least is Bryce Hopkins. And, you know, what a talent he is, as I mentioned, coming in from Kentucky. He's currently tied for second in the Big East in scoring at about 17 points a game. And to go with that, not bad. Also second in the conference in rebounding. So he, he's been a real monster for them, both inside and more of as a wing type slasher. Then two on Cooley, to Cooley's credit here, you know, I talked about roster building. I think game plan is also a really nice show of how things have shifted. You know, last year, 31% of their points came from three and and 48% from two. I talked about all the talent that kind of went out. You know, it made sense to shoot so many threes when you've got guys like Horkler and Durham. I can really hurt you from out there. This team has shifted a little bit. They can certainly hurt you from three, but they do better job moving off the ball and finding easy buckets around the basket. They have now shifted from 31% from three last year to 24% of their shots of their points coming from three and from 48% of their shots from two a year ago to 54. That is called tailoring your game plan to your personnel. And Ed Cooley does such a fantastic job at doing that. And it's why, you know, guys like Bryce Hopkins have been able to come in and make such an impact for him. It's why Ed Crosswell, you know, it's taken a while for Ed Crosswell to really flourish into the player that he was. I remember watching him at LaSalle in his last year there, and I thought, that's a really good player. He came into the conference and struggled, couldn't get his footing. And now here in, in year three, you know, he's averaging 13 and eight through it. Devin Carter has the ability to really get in and drive and Noah locks the guy that'll kill you from three. Like I'm so impressed with how Providence has been able to build up this team and also build their game plan to tailor to this team. And it all comes down to the man at Cooley who I, I can yep. speak so many positive things about forever. Cause uh, I love watching him coach. He's not going to get the national or even the big East coach of the year talk that he deserves because there have been bigger stories and the big East like the Sean Millers and the Shaka Smarts and all the teams that have risen up basically from nowhere, the Dan Hurleys, obviously. Uh, but Ed, Ed Cooley deserves to be in that conversation. Providence was a nobody at the beginning of the season. Those five starters from last year left, that was the end of the one-year magical run for Ed Cooley. Not so fast at all. Hmm. I, I love what you said about the way he's able to tailor his offense. I think that is perfect. The differences between last year to this year, that is perfect unbelievable adjustment coaching and they're able to do that from first to second half too they got torched i believe it was yeah marquette that marquette loss marquette's defense stifled them they played in that zone that shaka havoc defense killed providence they still still scored 75 points to show you how good that offense is but they just couldn't get anything going so what does tony stubblefield and depaul do they go into zone because that's the smart thing to do. I watched that Marquette game and I thought, oh my God, sweet. Kyle Napkin's going to employ the zone. We're going to be able to beat Providence. They beat DePaul when DePaul played the zone because Noah Locke scored 29 points and he was able to shoot out of yeah, it. Shoot you so out of it. Yep. they adjust from game to game. They adjust from half to half better than most other teams in the conference. And yeah, now I can say it because Jay Wright isn't here anymore. And I love Kyle Neptune, but I haven't had as much time with him. Ed Cooley is my favorite coach in the Big East. 
favorite, yeah, I'd probably go with, with, with Cooley of the other guys. I I, yeah. I love watching him. And then two offensively, what they do so well and really watch for this on Sunday, their off ball movement is very impressive. They try to move defenses around like chess pieces to open up certain lanes to be able to hit, um, you know, entry passes and such. And it has been my favorite part of watching Providence this year um, when I have been able to catch them. And on top of that, they did play the game of the year in the conference, that double overtime game uh, against Marquette that they did win too. So the Friars usually put on um, some pretty fun games to watch. And then, you know, I, I took my little parting shot there with the, the luck index where, of course, you know, it was a big thing last year where Providence was the number one team in the country as according to Ken Palm luck index. Well, I looked at it again. As of today, and they are currently 176th in luck. So the luck of the Friars not carrying over, but that doesn't mean the play hasn't because we know how good they've been. Even more so, this team, according to Ken Palm, is ranked higher than the team from a year ago. The one with, you know, all the fanfare won the Big East regular season title, even though there might be an asterisk next to it. Um, Mm -hmm. And and of course, you know, had the NCAA tournament, uh, the, the better seed in the NCAA tournament. But it shows you that these these underlying numbers really support this team. This is a very good Friar team. It's going to be a difficult game on Sunday. Yeah, they're a really good offense. I think their offense is, um, well, I, I guess just because Providence was good last year, they're less underrated this year than they've been in the past. But their offense is really, really good. They also are an incredibly good offensive rebounding team. They get their hands up there. So Dixon and Slater and Whitmore are going to have their hands full. Trey Patterson was able to do it a little bit against St. John's, he's going to have to be more active against Providence on Sunday. That Marquette game, Hopkins had 29 and 23 in that double overtime game, just to show you how good Hopkins can really be. Yeah, I I think you nailed it there. Um, And on top of it, uh, good luck to all of Nova Nation going to this game on Sunday, because of course it's going to overlap with the NFC Championship game uh, with the Eagles at the link. we, We talked about it a lot before we started recording. I think we forgot to mention at the top, There's been rumblings about what this could look like. There has been no official update. So I don't even know if it's worth speculating because this is pretty unprecedented. I don't even know what the options even are. Hmm. But you and I are both planning on being there. And let's just say that having the Eagles there at the same time definitely was not the uh, ideal result of the Uh, weekend. Especially as a Giants fan sitting here. (laughs) I can tell you that is most definitely not the ideal result. Um, But yes, as of 7.30 on Monday night, uh, Villanova Athletics has not put out any sort of update on the logistics. I don't think this game is moving, whether it be time or location. I think the only thing they could have done is try and siphon off some sorts of lots for Villanova fans specifically, but that's just my own speculation there. As Emma said, we have nothing official, Um, but I will just say good luck to all of us if we are going, because I know I'm still trying to figure it out. Uh, Emma should be there, but it is um, not going to be the the normal Wells Fargo and uh, Villanova tailgate experience. That is for sure. Definitely not. All right. So we didn't give predictions for St. John's. Don't think that I forgot. I think we were both just too scared. I truly was too scared because I thought St. John's was going to win and I just couldn't bring myself to say it, Pat. So I apologize. I got to be honest now. I got to come clean and say that that's the reason why I didn't do it. I actually do believe that Villanova has a chance to beat Providence. Do you? Believe they have a chance? Yes. Believes that's how the game is going to end come Sunday at 2.30? No. I think Cam Whitmore actually is the biggest X factor here. I think if he's able to neutralize Hopkins and he can have more of the non-conference Cam Whitmore 
than the more recent we've seen lately, I think there's a chance. And Caleb and Dixon shoot as well as they've been shooting. I think they have a chance. I like, no, I agree. I think Hopkins and uh, versus Whitmore would be, is your kind of box office matchup from this. Right. And I, I hope we do get it because those are two very, very talented wing players um, that I would love to see go off there. And, and if Cam can, you know, be a little bit more consistent, be a little smarter with the shot and hold on to that basketball. Um, you know, I, I do think Villanova can be in this game and can hang with, with Providence. Um, I just, I, I wonder defensively, can we see Villanova step it up for two games in a row and try and hold a team that is, you know, not only talented offensively, but incredibly well executed on offense. Um, can they hold them in check again? I do hope that we see a lot of the zone force Providence to shoot out of it, force Noah Locke to have the same type of performance that he had against DePaul. I don't think that's replicable to be honest with you. So I hope that we see some zone. Hopefully that allows Hawson to go in and shoot and make a couple threes. That would be nice. Yeah, it's going to, there's nothing like a Wells Fargo game. There's nothing like a game against Providence. I can't imagine the score is higher than 60 on either ends. These games just end up being like 52 to 49 every (laughs) single time. It's so painful, but I'm really excited. And you mentioned you'll, or you'll notice that we have done the Providence preview on this Tuesday episode because just the way the scheduling worked this week, we're just going to keep it to one unless something crazy happens later this week. But we wanted to get this Providence preview in there because we are so excited about this Sunday afternoon game. Though I wouldn't be upset if it turned into another 89-84 game with the Colin Gillespie dagger three from last February. That was the outlier, though, for sure. Yes. But that was uh, just the most bit. fun one in a while. That That is one of my favorite games that this program has played over the last five or six years or yeah. so. That was, my, uh, that was when I was in the Olympics. So I woke up, I was working the three to one, 3 a.m. to 1 p.m. during the Olympics. I ended up waking up and watching that game at like 4 a.m. Because I was, <laughs> I saw the score and I just couldn't believe the big shot that I took at the end. So that was awesome. Yeah, that that was a good night for, for Nova Nation. February yeah. 15th from uh, 2022. At the, at the dunk, one of the last games that Villanova played at the dunk. It's now the amp. I'm still going to call it the dunk, even though I know, I know it's I the amp. It. But yeah. yeah. <laughs> Anything else? That is all I have. Hopefully, same here. Building on momentum, and Maddie Seagrass is the goat. Start Maddie and Seagrass end with is that. The goat. Yep, I am more than comfortable with that. But all right, that'll do it for us here on the State of the Nova Nation podcast, presented by VU Hoops. Be sure to check out vuhoops.com for all your Villanova content all season long. Follow the show on Spotify. Subscribe to us on iTunes and follow us on Twitter at s o n n pod. I hope everyone has a great week. I know we've got a while to wait until tip-off on Sunday, but we will be back at it most likely next Tuesday. Everyone have an awesome time at Nova Nation. That's a wrap.